everyone. It's good to see you this morning. And it's good to be in the Lord's house together, worshiping Him, receiving His grace and His blessing. Turn with me, if you will, to our Old Testament text, Isaiah 55. You can also follow along on the screen. Isaiah 55. This is God's very word, so let's give it our full attention now. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon for my ways are not your th- or for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And our New Testament text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now. O Lord, our God, you call us to come to you and taste and see that you are good. You call us to come and and feed on you by faith. You call us to come and, and taste the goodness of your salvation and your gospel and to behold you, to seek your face 
So, Father, we pray that You would give us hearing ears and seeing eyes and, and hearts that indeed can trust and can receive and, and can savor the goodness of Your salvation for us. We pray that You'd pour out Your Spirit and be at work in us by Your Spirit. May He wield this Word mightily in our hearts, plant it deep in us, make it take root, and bring forth much fruit, that it might not return to You empty. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we're working our way through the Beatitudes, and we've seen over the past few weeks that these are traits that mark out citizens of Christ's kingdom. These are the defining marks of a kingdom life, a life of a, of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. These are the things, Jesus says, that if you have these in your life, this is, this is the dead giveaway that you belong to me, you're one of my disciples, you're part of my kingdom. This is like the Christian's accent, right? right? You hear it and you know right away, oh, that's where they're from. Right? You see these marks in someone's life, you say, that's where they're from. They're from the kingdom of heaven. They're, they're, they're citizens of, of, of King Jesus. They're disciples of Christ. We've seen so far in the, in the first three Beatitudes that all of, all of them so far remind us of our constant need, our, our complete lack of spiritual resources in ourself, and, and how much we need the grace of God. These, these, these Beatitudes humble us. They, they lay us in the dust before Christ leaving us with no ground for boasting. They, they, they show us that, uh, that our pride, our sense of self-sufficiency, our, our sense of merit in ourselves, the good works we think we do, are nothing before Christ. They don't earn us anything with Him. They don't get us a place in the kingdom. What does is humble repentance and grief over sin and, and humility before God and humility uh, before others. Those wonderful words of the, of the hymn, Rock of Ages, right? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's the spirit of the Beatitudes that we've seen so far. But as Jesus is, is preaching through these, He doesn't leave us there with, with, uh, with, with that sense of feeling our spiritual bankruptcy. He's, he doesn't want us to only feel that. He also wants us to uh, be, be those who experience something else. And that is a hunger and a thirst after something. Right? He's saying, if you're a citizen of my kingdom, you feel spiritually empty in yourself, but don't, you, you're also not content to stay there. You hunger and thirst after something. You want to be filled with something. And what you should want to be filled with is righteousness. Those who are citizens of Christ's kingdom crave righteousness. They have a gnawing hunger to be conformed to Christ, to obey Christ, to see others obey Christ. That's this fourth beatitude, the fourth mark of a kingdom life, fourth mark of the good life according to our Lord Jesus Christ. Desperate for righteousness. What is righteousness? It's not a, it's not a word you hear a lot in our culture. Uh, uh, people will talk about justice a lot, which is a similar idea. But, but the word righteousness, that sounds too religious. Right? It's like it's opposite. Sin. It's just it's a loaded word. It's loaded with the idea of, of, of God, of a king, and a rule that he gives. It's, it's a religious word. So I think that's why our culture shies away from using it. The first thing we need to understand then 
is what is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about here in this beatitude? Some people do equate it with, with uh, what our culture might call justice, right? Interested in people getting fair treatment, people not being oppressed, people not being taken advantage of. Uh, some people might say Jesus is saying that we want to see the righteousness of social reform happen. Humanitarian relief. Maybe that's part of what Christ is saying, that in his kingdom, yes, he will bring complete, perfect justice. But is that all that he's saying here? Is that the heart of what he's saying here? Some people, some people see this and he thinks he means, well, Jesus means that we should really want to be moral, upright, good people. Is that what he means? Right, P- people who are obedient to him, obedient to God's law. I think that's also a big part of what's in view here. But the first thing I want us to see here as Jesus calls us for, for, to this hungering and thirsting for righteousness is that... Um, at its core, at its essence, what Jesus is talking about, this righteousness he's talking about, is an obsession with God. It's an idea saturated with God. One theologian writing on this text says this, Righteousness is, in Scripture, an idea saturated with the thought of God. There can be no true obedience of heart and life without the constant presence to the mind of man of the thought of Jehovah. It's an idea saturated with God. Righteousness always is what it's always exists in light of who God is. If you look in Scripture, you see this, right? In the Old Testament, Genesis 17, 1, God is calling Abraham to, to, to this life of righteousness. And he says to Abraham, uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. He's saying, walk before me. Have, have, have a relationship with me. Live, live, live in, in reverence of me. Live in trust before me. And in light of that, be blameless. Be righteous, Abraham, because you are living in the light of who God is. Because, that, that, because God dominates your life. That's how you live righteously. You cannot have a righteousness that's in any way divorced from God. At every point, righteousness is connected with God and your relationship with Him. See, in Jesus' day, there was a legalistic attitude towards the law, towards righteousness. The Jews often saw it as something disconnected from God. Right? They, they tried to keep the law. They were obsessed about the law. But what about the lawgiver? They had forgotten that law-keeping and, and righteousness, obedience, is a personal matter. It's not some abstract standard that God has called us to obey. It's Himself He's called us to obey. So, loved ones, as we, as we begin thinking about righteousness this morning, please don't miss this point. Jesus is not simply talking about following this, this abstract standard of conduct. He is saying that, that we are to live lives that are God-centered and God-directed and God-conscious at every point. Often we, we, we shy away from this. Just like the Jews in Jesus' day, we can say, well, I'll follow this kind of abstract thing. We make righteousness a matter of rules we keep that we can kind of manage ourselves and we can, we can, we can try to push back God and keep Him at arm's length. When Jesus talks about righteousness here, though, He is forcing us to 
reckon with, to think about this God-saturatedness of righteousness. One of the theologians writes this, the law in the hands of Jesus becomes alive with God's own personality. Majestic and authoritative, God is present in every commandment, so absolute in his demands, so observant of our conduct, so intent upon the outcome that the thought of giving him less than heart and soul and mind and strength ceases to be tolerable to ourselves. He's saying God is present in every commandment. He meets us in every commandment, demanding our full allegiance and devotion to him. He, 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 he's there in every commandment. Will you obey me here? But right? it's not about this abstract law. Will you be obedient to me? That's what he's saying to us in his law. That's what the righteousness Jesus is talking about involves. Not an abstract thing. But God meeting us, will you obey me, your covenant Lord, here at this point and at this point? This is what uh, must permeate our understanding of righteousness. The second thing I think Jesus is emphasizing here, though, is he talks to his disciples about this righteousness that they're supposed to be hungering and thirsting after, is that this is, this is indeed something that's supposed to transform us. It's supposed to be a life of sanctification. It's, it's the righteousness of a life that's transformed according to that law that God has given. We see this as Jesus preaches this Sermon on the Mount through chapter 7. He, he, he several times talks about the importance of righteousness as the importance of our conduct before God. This personal sanctification before God that we are to have. He says in Matthew 5.20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, Matthew 5.48, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus is calling us to a whole person obedience to the whole law of God, all for God's sake. Jesus does this throughout the sermon. He takes the law and he, he, he presses it down to our, to our hearts. He takes the law and in its richest sense down to the roots of what the law requires and he presses it on us and, and, and to our very hearts. Right? He says throughout this sermon, right? he says, uh, it's not enough that you don't kill someone. God's law requires that you don't even be angry at someone in your heart and be bitter at someone in your heart. It's not enough that you don't commit adultery. If you're going to keep God's law, you have to not look at anyone lustfully in your heart. He drives the law home to our hearts. He gives us the golden rule. It's not enough not to mistreat your neighbor. You have to love him as yourself. Treat him as you would want to be treated. The righteousness that the citizens of his kingdom need is the righteousness of the king himself. Their lives need to reflect his life. Right? What, what we are called to is nothing less than the righteousness of God. That's what we're supposed to reflect. I mean, that's how God made man in the first place. In his image, to reflect that righteousness. To reflect the moral perfection and the moral beauty of God. And, and, and as we're remade in the new creation, as we're, as we're redeemed by Christ, brought into his kingdom, we're not to be anything less. He's, he's redeemed us for the same purpose, that we might perfectly reflect the very righteousness of God. 
It's this righteousness, loved ones, that must be in our own hearts. It's this righteousness that must come in our world. This, this, this righteousness includes the whole law of God and inward life and outward life. But which of us can be righteous like this? At this point, probably we should all be crying out with the words of Isaiah, Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If, if, if Christ calls His disciples to, to the same righteousness, uh, to, to be a reflection of the righteousness of God Himself, what hope do we have? But notice Jesus' words here. Notice, notice what our Lord says. He doesn't say, Blessed are the righteous, does He? What does He say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So he's saying, blessed are those not not who who already have this, but blessed are those who don't have it but want it. Blessed are those who hunger after it, they they who who desperately desire it. What is it like to be hungry and thirsty? We all we all know, at least to some extent, what it's like to to be starving and thirsty in a in a, in a certain sense. Um, kids are a great picture of this, right? Wake up in the morning, first thing, I'm starving. I need some food right now. But uh, while, while we do know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty, in Jesus' day, it was even, an even more powerful uh, metaphor for, for them. Uh, food was harder to get. You lived in a, in, a, in a time where it's more uncertain, where water is harder to come by. It's a hot and dusty climate. And uh, you could quickly become parched. Famine was not unknown. Drought was not unknown. People knew these things. People felt them keenly. They, they felt the experience of hungering and, and thirsting. And I think Jesus latches on to these images for us because it's such a powerful uh, desire. Right? Our, our hunger and thirst for food and drink is, is, is a deep-seated desire that we have. Uh, we, we crave food. We crave water. We know we can't live without them. And that's what Jesus wants for citizens of his kingdom in regards to righteousness. That, that craving after, that, that thirsting after it, that deep desire for it, the sense my life depends on getting more of this. I won't be satisfied till I have more of this. So loved ones, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? After being like God, reflecting His righteous character? Do you, do you have that gnawing desire to be conformed to the image of Christ your King? That, that deep hunger that, that your life would reflect His. And that you would follow His law and that you'd obey Him at every point where He calls you. And, and in this, in this, we're, we're supposed to crave this righteousness. We're also in, in, in it. It's not just a craving for righteousness, a hunger for that. It's a hunger for God Himself uh, throughout Scripture. As we, as we see this language of hungering and thirsting, it's most often connected with hungering and thirsting after God Himself, right? We read this in the Psalms. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. O God, my God, earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 143.6 I stretch up my hands to You. My soul thirsts for You like a parched land. This is to be the mark of the citizen of the kingdom. Hungry after God. Hungry after reflecting His character. 
maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, pastor, this all sounds good, hungering and thirsting after righteousness like that, but, but if I'm honest, that's not me, at least, at least not all the time, or at least not much of the time. If I'm honest with myself, I'm a Christian, I trust in Christ for my salvation, but if I'm honest, I, I know I don't crave righteousness the way I crave and hunger after food and drink. I, I know that, that I don't uh, long to be like Christ as I should be. So, so what am I supposed to do? Well, the first thing, loved ones, is to pray. We've seen, right, we're poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually helpless. We can't, we can't manufacture this on our, on, our, on our own. So we go to God, we pray, Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a thirst to be like Christ, to reflect your righteousness in my life. Make me to hunger and thirst after you. Do whatever it takes in my life to, to, to make my heart hungry for, for conformity to my Savior. Make that your prayer. Second thing, usually if, if your appetite is not strong, it's because something else is filling it, right? What, what else are we feeding on? What else are we filling up with? Sin, perhaps. Letting, letting sin go, letting habits and patterns of sin go on unchecked in your life without confronting them and, 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 and seeking by God's grace to root them out, put them to death. But that's, going to, that's going to slake your thirst for righteousness. That'll dull your appetite for the things of God. And maybe it's not sin, maybe it's just other things, good things in themselves, but you've put them in a place they shouldn't have. And you're so filled up on them that there's little hunger for God anymore. What do you need to what do you need to change? What what needs to go in order to foster your hunger and thirst for righteousness? The third thing, walk with God. We saw this. God's words to Abraham walk before me and be blameless. You won't desire righteousness if you're not walking with the Lord. If you're not living in, in the light of His presence, in the light of His grace, and His goodness, and His glory, and His holiness, if you're not, if you're not in, a, in a close relationship with Him, seeking Him, you're not going to desire to be like Him. Right? This, this desire comes as you see Him as He is. That makes you what you are to be. Seek Him in His Word, on your own, in your families, in the Lord's day. Seek Him. The more you come to know Christ, the more you want to be like Christ the more you hunger after that. The more you come to know Him and, and the more you walk with Him, the more it will change your heart and change your hungers and the things you thirst for to be like, to be like Him. All right. This is what Jesus means when He calls us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But there's more to say, isn't there? Um, we need to look at the promise, not just the the implication of, of the beatitude, but also the promise. What does he say? He says that those who hunger and thirst shall be filled. So let's, let's look now at that, that part of the verse. They shall be filled. Jesus promises a feast for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not, not just enough. He, he promises you too much to eat of it, too much to drink of it. Right? You'll, you'll be filled, you'll be stuffed with it. That's what he's promising here. He will, he, will, uh, he, will, he will spread a lavish feast of righteousness to satisfy his disciples with. This righteousness that he's going to give is, is a gift of God. 
we see that it, 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 we will be filled. We're not going to fill ourselves. He will fill us. God will fill us. We can't, we can't uh, right, when you're hungry and thirsty, you can't find food and drink inside yourself. You have to go, someone outside of you has it. They give it to you. You have to go and, and find it, and it's a gift that someone else gives you. This isn't a righteousness we can get ourselves. This comes only from God. I see this in Isaiah 61, verses 10 to 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The Lord gives righteousness. The Lord is the only one. He gives it to those who are in his kingdom. That's what Jesus is also promising here. This is for those in his kingdom. This, this righteousness is the righteousness of the kingdom. That's promised so much in the Old Testament that that day when God is going to come break in to history and rule over his people as their king, he's going to bring a perfect reign of peace and justice and righteousness. So perfect it will penetrate to every heart of his children and his righteousness will rule there. And not only in the hearts of his children, but in, in, in the homes of his children and, and in the streets of the kingdom of heaven, he will rule and righteousness will be there. He will fill us. Right? We'll, be like, we'll have these springs of water gushing up out of us. That, that, that's the, the image we, we see in Scripture. And that, that, that's the righteousness we'll be filled with, overflowing in, into others. He's going to make all things new in it. No sin in any heart. He will completely flood the world with righteousness with the, in, the, in the new creation and the kingdom Love is a glorious hope, isn't it? That your fight with sin will end. That, that your struggle with, your, with, your, with that temptation that keeps coming will, will, will end. And that your heart will be made like the heart of Christ, filled with righteousness, every affection and desire of it, holy and pleasing to God. That's the promise He gives us. And it's not just for our hearts, that, that our hearts will be made this way. But he's promising us that the whole sin-sick world will be gone and his kingdom will come. And, and in that kingdom, righteousness will be all-encompassing all, all, all and pervasive. As Jesus stands here in Matthew 5, preaching this sermon on the mountain in Galilee, telling his disciples that if they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. He's, he's telling them that this is going to happen with absolute certainty. It's a guarantee. In fact, he's telling us that the very, uh, the very fact of our hunger and thirst for righteousness is the guarantee that we will be filled. It is not the will of our Heavenly Father, one theologian writes, it's not the will of our Heavenly Father that any longing in our hearts prompted by God Himself shall perish unsatisfied. A satisfying righteousness must be provided for the people of God. Jesus promises, if you've got the hunger for it, it's the guarantee that you'll be filled soon in the kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom will be satisfied in the righteousness God brings. But there's one more question, loved ones. How does this righteousness come to me? Um, I'm a sinner. Hungering and thirsting doesn't earn anything from God. 
I'm a sinner. How does this righteousness come to me? I don't deserve to be filled with God's righteousness. I, I, I don't have any, any, any merit for that. I, I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing but God's wrath poured out on me. How do sinners become righteous? How can Jesus give this blessing, right? Jesus, I know why he can heal the sick. He's got divine authority. And with that divine authority, he can say, be well and you're healed. And he does the same thing. He, he says to the dead, come forth. And they, they do. They come back to life. But can even God say to sinners that they're just righteous? Can he, can he turn sin into righteousness? Of course. No, no, he can't. God God himself is righteous. He can't look on sin and say, oh, we'll call it righteousness. How can sinners be made righteous? It can't be by just divine fiat. How do we get this blessing? He's a perfectly just God and a righteous God. He can't just redefine sin so that it's no longer sin. How do we get this? Of course, it's because Jesus himself procures it for us. Right? He, he, he has come, uh, and, and as he himself speaks of this blessing on sinners to fill them with righteousness, he knows it's because of what he's come to do. Because he himself has come to fulfill all righteousness. We already saw this in Matthew chapter 3. As Jesus is baptized, he says to John, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is his mission. This is why he's come to obey God perfectly, to, to, to be righteous for his people. So he can give them that gift of righteousness. So it's true righteousness we receive. It's just not ours. It's, it's His. It's His righteousness counted to us. Right? This, this, this Jesus, as He speaks this, he's, he's the righteous one. And as Isaiah 53 promises, by His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. The Messiah, the righteous one, He's righteous for our sake. So th- this is how. God can make me righteous. God can make you righteous. It's because He sent His Son to, to, to earn that righteousness for me. And then, and then he, counts, you know, he counts my sin to Christ. He counts Christ's righteousness to me. So He looks on me. He doesn't see any sin. He sees a blameless, spotless, righteous one. As righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's pleased. He's delighted. And he pours out His blessing on us. And then he doesn't just count us as righteous in Christ, but he, then he starts to get to work in us. As those who are justified, he starts to sanctify us. He gets to work and he starts making us truly have a change of heart so that we start to, start to desire to please him. And then when he returns, this is going to be finished and perfected. We'll be made just like our Lord Jesus Christ in every respect. We'll be a bride without spot or blemish. Or stain from sin, all this because of the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's promising as he preaches this sermon. He, he's promising his own righteousness for his disciples. So, loved ones, are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Do you desire it? Do you, do you, do you feel a, a gnawing hunger to be like Christ? To bear the marks of the kingdom's citizens? To, to obey Almighty God, to, to, to be what God has made you to be. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is where we come. We don't, we don't try to go find the resources on our own. We come to Christ. We, and we, we say, be my Savior and be my Lord and work your righteousness in me.
we read in Scripture that He comes to fill the hungry soul and the longing soul He fills with good things. We read this earlier in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He offers us a feast of righteousness that He freely gives to those who come to Him. Let's pray together. Thank You, Lord Jesus Christ, for Your righteousness. Thank You that You are the righteous One who is able to make many be counted righteous. We thank You for the promises that we will be filled with Your righteousness. We pray You be at work in us. Cause these words to bear fruit in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table,